Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. He's so good that even in my mistakes and even in my imperfections God says I can still do something with that God is so good God is so so good somebody take my phone when you, when you go down God is so good hey everybody today uh, Pastor John's not here my name is Pastor Kaya so glad you guys are here with us today uh, I'll be bringing the message today. Pastor John will not be back next week. I think uh, Minister Atira is on next week. Let's go. Let's go. I want to greet all of you who are joining us online. We want to say we love you. You are a part of us, just as much a part of us as those who are in the room today. And so uh, I would love if every single person on the chat will just type in where you're joining us from online. We greet you. We send you blessings. Don't forget to download the app and go through Growth Track. All right? We'll be looking for that. Our scripture text today will be Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Let me put my glasses on so I can see what the Lord is saying. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I'm reading from the New King James, and it says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how should it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Father in heaven. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege to be in your house today. God, I ask, Lord God, that you take the little bit that I have and the little bit that I am, God, and you multiply it the same way you did the fish and the loaves. God, I give it to you sacrificial, God, and I ask, Lord God, that you breathe on it. If you don't breathe on it, if you don't touch it, if you don't move it, God, it means nothing. So, Father, we ask, Lord God, that you will have your way. Take center stage in our hearts and in our minds and in this sanctuary today. Let me step back and you appear in Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. All right, I want to honor my husband, Pastor John, who's not here today. I'm preaching today in his stead. He's preaching out today at another church, and so he's um, with another fellowship today, and so we send our blessings to him wherever he is. A couple of guys went with him, you know, just, you know, you know security details, you know, just to keep the women away, you know, because they, they be, you know, they be trying. So I told him, I said, look, I said, Charles, look, listen, listen, Charles, listen. Two feet, two feet. Women past the two feet mark, just wrap them up. Just fold them up. Just fold them up like a towel. Charles said, I got you. So he got a couple of guys with him on security details. So don't worry, y'all. The women won't get him. But I just want to bless him for just being such an amazing covering. I love my husband. I love my pastor. And I just want to honor him. He is such a great protector. Let me tell you what, what kind of protector this guy is. This guy runs security scenarios in his head all the time. So it doesn't matter what restaurant you are in with him. It doesn't matter where you are. Trust me, you're safe. Because as he's walking, he's replaying. He's going through all the stats and all the situations that could happen. You know? And so he's saying, it's like if somebody tries to come this way, I'm going to 
I'm going to grab him like that. You know, so it's like, don't worry about it. Just relax because he's got it. Okay, everybody has known that about him like all the time. He's always running scenarios. I don't know what it's like to be a boy that grows up to marry a girl, gets married, and has kids. But it must be a lot. I mean, it must be a lot. Because the fact that, like, you're in charge, man. You're in charge of the, you know, the, the physicals, um, physical health and security, financial security, spiritual health. And I know some of you guys are getting your pens ready, and you're going to write an angry letter at me because you're like, oh, Pastor Kai is talking about gender roles? Are we talking about gender roles? Yeah, yeah, homegirl, we talking about gender roles. You know why? Because the Bible talks about gender roles. The Bible tells women how to be. The, the Bible tells men how to be. And I stand on the infallible word of God. So go ahead and tear up those letters, those angry letters that you're sending in. Yes, my husband is my covering. And I'm so glad that he is. Go ahead and let them, him run all them scenarios. It was probably about year four of our marriage that I found out that every time we go to a hotel room, this guy rearranged the furniture in front of the hotel door. Like he barricades it. You know, Embassy Suites has like the couch and the lamp and the lampstand. And no, he moves all that in front of the door. Now, I didn't know that this was happening. I didn't know, realize this until year four of marriage because I just happened to get up to go to the restroom and I see this big giant cluster in the shadows. And so, of course, I'm concerned. I'm like, someone's been in our room moving the furniture around. So what do I do? I go and I wake him up. Somebody's been in this room. They moved the couch. They moved the end table, the lamp. Everything is barricaded in front of the door. And he looked at me. He's like, yeah. I've been doing that. I always do that. What? Like, is that, is that normal? Like, <laughs> but I guess because him, because he ran the scenarios, you know, because he did the stats and then, you know, the diagnosis, all the little, you know, that, that happened. And I guess what he said was if somebody tries to come in the door, all the stuff will knock down. He'll be alerted. He'll wake up. Boom. He'll be ready. So he had it all worked out. One thing that I don't do is I don't do that. Whenever my husband's with me, I go to sleep. Like, I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping, and most of the time, it's the next day that he'll wake me up and say, did you, did you, did you know what happened last night? No, what happened? It was a squirrel. A squirrel did this. This did this. Heaven jumped up. Judah said this. This. I, I knew nothing. Why? Because I was sleeping. But the reason why I sleep in such a way is because I know my husband is there. My protector is there, and he is up in the middle of the night checking the locks, the doors, the windows again, clearing all the corners again, like over and over again. And so it gives me this sense of peace that I don't have when he's not there. I remember my daughter, I'm not sure at what age this was, but she was, when she was small, she was afraid of the dark. And at, at certain times at night, she would yell out, Dad! And she would only get to one daddy before that guy was up sprinting into her room. It was literally like he had starting blocks in his bed waiting for her to call, daddy. And he was in there. And when, every time he went in, I was thinking, I'm so glad she didn't say mom. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, God loves me in that way. And I'm not sure, but I'm glad about it. <clears throat> and every time he'd come back, I'd say, what was it? Nothing. It was just the dark. She just wanted her dad. She just wanted him there. And you know what the, the, the truth of it, of it is? It didn't need to be anything. Because to him, he was honored with the fact that I get to hold that position. And I get to provide that level of safety for my daughter. 
She wouldn't call mommy. She wouldn't call Judah, who was in the next room. He was her older brother. She called daddy. And he was very proud to have that position. Oftentimes, I wouldn't see him until the next day because he'd fall asleep, of course, just laying there until she felt safe again. Amen. Any dads in the room know all about that? Dad's presence chased away the fear that came at the lack of his presence. Dad's presence chased away the fear that came at the lack of his presence. When dad went into the room, the room still looked the same way. The dark was still dark. The bed was still in the same position. The window was still, the, the curtains were still drawn. Nothing changed in the room except for dad walked in. And so dad's presence chased away the fear that came at the lack of his presence. And so the title of today's message is just the right amount of light. Just the right amount of light. Darkness can be intimidating. Darkness can be intimidating because darkness represents unknown things, mysterious things, unrevealed things. You know, I know we have a lot of big, strong men in here, and none of them, not one single one of them will say, yes, I'm afraid of the dark. But I know that all of us, all of our family members, one by one, have all jumped out and scared another one. And every single one of them reacts in a different way. Pastor John, he reacts this way. I react, ah, you know, but there's this, there's this unknown thing that comes with darkness because you don't really know what exactly is in there because you can't see. And I don't know at what age I stopped being afraid of the dark, but I do remember being younger. And back in my day, when I would go to sleep at, uh, downstairs in the living room, I would, once I, when I was down there, my mom and dad was there. We were all watching a movie together. But when I woke up, they were gone. They had already went upstairs. And back in my day, at a certain time, the TV cut off in my day. In my day, TV programs didn't run all 24 hours at, at a time. And it, comes, it came to a certain time, it would be like, right? And it was usually when it got to the, that's when I walk up, like, oh, hold up. I'm down here by myself. Hold up. And I'm telling you, it was literally like I done lived in this house I don't know how many years. But the moment the lights were dark and the TV was off and I'm reaching for the light switch, it's literally like trying to play a game of whack-a-mole. Do you guys remember whack-a-mole? You go to Chuck E. Cheese, you go to the little hammer and you try to dr- hit the little gopher. And the, I, swear the, I swear the switch is just like moving. Like <laughs> I'm reaching for the, the switch is like, nope. And the darkness is just like... I saw this meme on Instagram once talking about what it feels like when you go out in the pitch black to take out the garbage. And it shows like 10 skinny men all dressed in black running behind you (laughs) as you're trying to run back in the house. All of the little 10 skinny men dressed in black are like running right behind you. Because the darkness can be intimidating. You know, I'm not saying that I'm scared of the dark, but the darkness can be intimidating. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the NLT version, it says that the darkness can never extinguish the light. The darkness can never extinguish the light. You know what that means? That means darkness has no voting rights. Darkness has no voting rights. Which means darkness can't say, I want to stay. Light doesn't care. 
Because light invades the space and darkness vanishes. Darkness has no voting rights or no authority that supersedes God's light and authority. The light can never lose against the darkness and the darkness will never overcome light. Every time I walk into a dark room, I'm never surprised that I'm greeted by darkness. It's no big deal. Why? Because I just flipped the switch. It's no big deal that this room is full of darkness. I just flipped the switch. No big deal, right? Right, because the moment light appears, darkness flees, shadows flee, uncertainty flee, anxiety flee, turmoil of what could be in the deep dark of the darkness, that flees too. Which reminds me of a scripture, resist the devil and he will. When I walk into my room in the middle of the night and I'm greeted by darkness, it's no big deal. Why? Because I know the light switches within my reach. And never have I ever saw a battle of light and dark. Never have I ever saw a struggle with dark trying to overcome or arm wrestle light. Never. Ever. There's no struggle for authority in the moment because light always wins. Darkness doesn't try to plead its case to stay. It just simply vanishes. When the light invades my space, darkness flees. When light invades your space, darkness Please. Let's go back to our text today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. You know what I notice about that text? As I take a drink of water, you know, I'm just giving you guys some time to think. <laughs> that you get your answers together. You know what I notice about that scripture is Jesus never challenged us to become salt or to become light. He simply said that you are, that you are. Jesus is speaking about identity. You are light. You are the salt of the earth. Why does he say that? Because we got it from him. Jesus is talking to believers. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Three pictures are taken from this text in Matthew chapter 5, and I want to bring out three different pictures in this text today. First of all is you are the salt of the earth. Salt opposes the natural process of erosion or corruption, or it prevents those things from worsening, okay? So the world is passing away. How many know the world is passing away? <clears throat> if you don't believe it, pick a flower or just look at a flower and pretty soon the flower is going to be dead. Like, it's kind of sad. Like, everything that we're like, oh, that's so beautiful. It's like, and it died. Like, everything in this world is passing away. 
I'm 46 or 45 or something, and I'm telling you, I can feel it in my body. Like, stuff is just not the same as it was before because there's a decaying process that's happening in my body. I don't care how much gut health supplements I do, how I work out. I don't care how much water I drink. There is a process that's happening, and I feel it when I get up in the morning. I'm like, oh, something's happening Every day, we move closer to the finality of the truth that this earth will pass away. Judgment is coming to the earth. Somebody say, but the salt. But the salt. Because the earth is seasoned with God's people, judgment doesn't come as swiftly as it would if there were no seasoning on the earth. Okay, I'm going to break this down because some of y'all is like, what? Well, I don't get it. Take a tri-tip from Costco. Take a tri-tip from Costco that's not seasoned and put it in the fridge. And then take a tri-tip from Costco and season it. You know, a little salt and put it in the fridge. The one that's seasoned is going to last longer. Both tri-tips is going to pass away. There's no saving the tri-tip forever. Both of them are going to pass away, but the seasoned one, its judgment will come a little bit longer and farther out because of the seasoning. It reminds me of the story in the, uh, of Abraham in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 18, book of Genesis chapter 18. If you guys remember, I like to use texts and stories that everybody know because that way the media team's not mad at me that I have 35 different scriptures. So go with me to Genesis 18. You don't have to turn there because I don't know what scripture it is or exactly what address, but y'all know what's in there. Okay, y'all remember the story about Abraham. And then remember the angels came to visit Abraham and Abraham ran out and he says, oh my gosh, let me wipe your feet, wash your feet and give you something to eat. And he told Sarah, Sarah, go make them some bread. And he allowed them to eat and they ate and, you know, they sat around and the Bible talks about how Abraham kind of stood far off. Like he was a really great host. And I think that was a really great picture too. We should be like that. Like he didn't even know who they were. But he was like, I'm going to wash your feet and I'm going to serve you up something good. Sarah, go make some bread. And bread takes a second. I'm like, for who? <laughs> who is these people? I gotta, I gotta put the yeast. I gotta wait for it to rise. I gotta bake it. Like, who are these people? But she didn't ask no questions. Fully submitted. We should, we should, we should take something from that. Fully submitted. Okay, so. Abraham goes and he serves these people and, 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 they're, and they're talking and the Bible talks about how after they ate, it was really wonderful because after the hospitality, I believe the angels and the Lord revealed themselves to Abraham. Do you guys remember the text? And the Bible talks about the angels were like, eh, we're going to destroy Sodom. It was like one of those after meal stretches, like, oh, that was great. We're going to, anyway, we're on our way to go destroy Sodom. Uh, we just thought we'd let you know. We really appreciate the food, too. Really, that was nice. And uh, the Bible talks about that the angels went on ahead, but the Lord stayed back and spoke with Abraham. And so it was really wonderful picture. You guys should read it. About God and Abraham were literally just walking. The Bible talks about Abraham wanted to walk with the Lord for a way, just to make sure he seen himself off okay. That was awesome. That was awesome. It reminds me of Grandma Butcher. Like, she will never let you leave her house. She's going to walk down the driveway. You riding away in the car. So we know Grandma would be like that, too. So Abraham, he's, you know, he's walking with the Lord. The angels already went ahead towards Sodom. And Abraham knows he's got people in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
If you guys remember, Lot was there, his nephew. And so Abraham's probably thinking, how am I going to say, don't do it. So they're walking, and then he says, Lord, you know, if, if I can, can I just, if, if there's like 50 righteous people, will you not destroy Sodom? And God says, sure. Yeah, there's 50 people. I won't destroy it. Abraham's like, well, that was great. I shoot my shot. It was great. So, well, what if there's 40 people? And on and on again, Abraham would apologize for, you know, disturbing the creator of heavens and earth with these questions. But he's like, but since you've entertained me so far, Lord, if there's just a few, will you spare the city? And God was so good because, you know, every time he asked that question, the answer was yes. If there was a certain amount of seasoning in Sodom and Gomorrah, the city would have been spared. But the bad part was there was none. But God was so good, he still spared Lot. But the problem is what I'm seeing in this picture is I see Jesus saying, but I have people there. Do you guys recall in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 37, it says, but of the day and hour, no one knows. It was talking about final judgment when the earth will pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were also, so will the coming of the son of man be. No one knows exactly when that time is going to be. But the hope is that there's enough seasoning and enough salt to preserve it just a little bit longer. But in the meantime, there's seasoning on the earth. Somebody say there's seasoning. There's seasoning on the earth through the salt of the saints. John 4 and 23 says, God is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. When we worship the Lord, we can never get more salty than in worship. The next point I want to bring out is that you are the light of the world. Light gives the gift of guidance. So that those who have lost, who are lost, can find their way in the path back home. Psalms 119 and 105, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The footsteps of a righteous man is ordered by the Lord. Amen. Light reveals things. It unveils the, unveils the kingdom of God that is hidden inside every single believer. Spurgeon said this. He said, Spurgeon said this about Christians who try to hide their light. Spurgeon said, Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians, Christians whose virtues would never be displayed, pilgrims who would travel to heaven by night and never be seen by their fellow pilgrims or anyone else. Undercover Christians, y'all, undercover Christians has and never will be a part of God's plan for this world. We are not in God's witness protection program. We are not in God's witness protection program. He's actually looking. Is there anybody that will worship me in spirit and in truth? Is there anybody that will raise their hands? Is there anybody that will hold on to my word? Is there anybody that will pray? Is there anybody that will seek me out and seek the truth of the matter? Is there anybody? Because if so, I'm looking for them, not the them that are hiding, but them who are able to step into dark situations and says, I will worship you here. 
The story of walking into a gym. I walk into a gym. I walk into a, a, a volleyball game. It doesn't matter where I am. And people can be having a great time until I show up. I'm telling you, it is like it never fails. People be like, yeah, man. And they be like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like I walk in and they be like, shh, shh, Pastor Graham. And so back in the day, I was like, man, I want to have fun too. But it was this light that I carried that I needed to stop apologizing for the fact that darkness would flee out of the minds and the hearts of whatever it is that they were talking about. I need to give that message to some of you. Some of you are like, no, go ahead, keep cussing. No, go ahead, keep cheating on your wife in front of me, man. You know I'm cool. No, I am the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. When light invades the space, darkness flees, period. You are a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden. Wouldn't it look silly if we were trying to hide Sassoon from people because we don't want no more people from Vallejo moving here? Like, wouldn't that be crazy? Brett, don't come for me. But wouldn't that be crazy? Like, if we'd be like, y'all, look, we all going to get together as a church and we going, yeah, Danielle. Well, <laughs> Wouldn't it be crazy if we'd be like, okay, look, y'all, this is what we're going to do. we all going to hold up a curtain so all the Vallejo people will just keep driving. Go to Vacaville. Wouldn't that be silly? The Bible says that a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. What are you trying to hide the light that you possess? What are you talking about? You are a believer of the most high God. It's silly for you to try to hold up a curtain or a rod or try to pick up a cigarette or a blunt. Like, yeah, man, me too. You look like a fool. So here's the question. What's the difference between... Brett's still mad. What's the difference between... What's the difference between a city and a town? Who knows? What's this? Okay, because the Bible talks about a city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. What's the difference between a city and a town? Does anybody know? No one knows. I did the research. Both of these have groups and bodies of people. They both got people, right? But only a city is defined as one that has established governmental power. Only a city is defined as one that has governmental power. A city is the product of social order and government. It is an organism that is organized and working against chaos and disorder. You know what a town looks like? I don't know if you guys have been to Berkeley and you see the rows of tent of homeless people. They got tents and they set up shop. Like you can go right here in Sassoon somewhere. They got tents and all kind of, some of them got little air fryers little skillets, you know, little hot plates. Like, they setting up shop. That's a town. You know why? Because they have no power over who comes and who stays. They have no power over that space. The moment someone tells them to move and flee, they've got to go. Why? Because they have no governmental power. Like a city that is set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. 2 Timothy 3 and 5, it says, look, this. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away from. Second Timothy chapter three talks about the last days, y'all. The last days, there'll be towns of people. It, towns, towns are going to be multiplied. Why? Because they have no governmental power over the light, but it's a bunch of people setting up shop. Let me put it this way. 
in the last days, there will be a bunch of demons setting up shop in places where there is no light, but has no governmental power to stay the moment the light shows up. And that's why it talks about in Timothy about it has a form of godliness, but has no power. So the difference between those who are in the light and those who are in the dark is power. The kingdom of darkness, demons, all them, all them demons has no governmental power in your house, in your mind, in your heart, in your children, in any place that you inhabit when you have the power to cause them to flee. Luke 17, 21, it says, now when he was asked, he meaning Jesus, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. I'm trying to make the point, you guys, that it's not always about we better call Pastor John and Pastor Kaya to come pray over this house because there's some stuff going on. The kingdom of God is within you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Light equals the revelation of Jesus Christ. Light means revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation means to reveal Christ. Reveal Christ. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember that time in scripture? He was super irritated because the disciples were real comfortable around Jesus. And so they decided to start asking some questions about God. And Jesus got agitated. You know why? Because he's like, I've been with you this whole time. Don't you realize that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Why is that not our declaration? When someone's like, I just want to know what Jesus is like. What? When you've seen me, Christ has been revealed. John 13 and 35, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I want to point something else about this scripture, y'all. Somebody's going to get mad at me, but it's okay. I got my fighting shoes on today. Ain't nobody going to mess with me, Brett. John 13, 35, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Look at this text. It says that the love that you have for one another. What does that mean? That means the church will prove to those on the outside of the church, which is the world that you are my disciples. I feel like this is important because I don't know if it's just me, but people are like, but you're supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to love everybody. Don't you want to love them? It says, it says your love for you have for one another will prove to the world, which means my love that I have for minister Atira is going to prove to Tyrone and them, Buki and them, the homeless encampment that I am Jesus' disciples, which means my love for the church and the love that the church has for one another will prove to those who are outside the church that we are his disciples. I don't have to go around proving myself to the world. I don't have to go around proving myself to people who deny Christ. I don't have to prove myself to people who are the world and do, don't want to accept Jesus at all. I don't have to lay down my life for them to trample on me. No, the love that I have for the church will prove to the world that I am one of his disciples. 
You will know us by our love that we have for one another. God's saying, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when you see the light poking out in the midst of an unloving, self-seeking, backstabbing, unforgiving, always offended world, God says, you'll see me. Why? Read 2 Timothy chapter 3. In the last days, children will be dishonored, honorable to their parents. People will be backstabbing, unforgiving, selfish. That's what the people will be. The towns, y'all, the towns of people who are setting up camps and setting up shops saying, we want to stay here. That's what their actions will be. But ours will be something completely different. We'll have love for one another. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, it says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Listen, you are just the right amount of God's presence, just the right amount of God's light to unveil, to protect, and to preserve those around you. I don't care if you have an ungodly family. They better be glad that grandma is praying in that house because it's just enough light it's just enough salt to preserve them how many testimonies have we heard about man if it wasn't for my praying grandmother how many testimonies have we heard about an aunt who was praying and interceding speaking in tongues over their drunk nephew that was pastor john that was pastor john's testimony Praying over him in tongues, praying over him with the word of God. Why? Because it was just enough light, just enough salt to preserve his life. So Paul is saying, stir up the gift, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. The Greek word for stir up is anazoporio, which means to either kindle afresh or to keep in full flame. A burning fireplace is great when it has wood in it. So poke at the fire. Check the sacrifice and make sure you still got a log in there. Do you go to growth groups? Have you went through growth track once? Do you fellowship with the saints? Hebrews 10 and 25, forsake not the fellowship of the saints. As we see the day approaching, do you fellowship with the saints? Or do you come to church like, an adult, like, a, like, like a, a, a fornicator, come and get the word and say, thank you, ma'am, next. Or do you serve? Or do you give? Check the sacrifice. If your fire and your, and your light is going dim, maybe there's nothing in the fireplace. Maybe your log burnt out years ago. Stir up the gift. Keep the sacrifice fresh. The Bible talks about how iron sharpens iron. Stay sharp. Men, come to the men's airborne. Women, come to women events whenever you can. Keep the log in the fire. Another word for stoking the fire means to incite, incite the fire. Have you ever tried to uh, put something, all of a sudden the fire goes, whoo, you're like, ooh, ooh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's us. You get called up here to preach. All of a sudden your fire is going to go, whoo. Why? Because you've incited the fire. Is there anything in there? You got anything to share? Have you read your word at all? What did that say to you? Deacon Tony, he incited his fire this morning. And, and uh, he gave a devotional today in the huddle. It's what happens when we exchange and we share one to another. It incites and it pokes the fire. Stir up the gift that's within you. Are you being called on to do anything? Maybe because you're not in the right place. Maybe you're hiding. Maybe you're not like a city set upon a hill. Maybe you're like a gopher that's under a tree. 
The light takes some tending to. So how are you tending to your fire? How's your prayer time? You signed up for growth groups yet? No problem. You can do that today. How's your fellowship? God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but what he did give us, he gave us power. He gave us love. And he gave us a sound mind. Do you know fear comes seeking agreement? Think about that for a second. Fear comes seeking agreement. Fear is so, like fear is so full of itself that it shows up to say, don't you think that Pastor Kaya should have called on you? I think you're rejected. I think no one loves you. I think no one even cares about you at this church. You know what I think? This is what fear says. You know what I think? I think they all know that you don't know enough word. You don't have enough. Actually, I think you're really broken, and God can't do anything with you. He can do a lot for a lot of people, but not you. Fear shows up looking for agreement all the time. An agreement releases the God-given investment of power to the enemy. Think about what happened in Genesis. The conversation between the serpent and Eve was the first time we saw spiritual warfare. The serpent talked to Eve about all the things trying to get her to agree with him. The serpent showed up talking to Eve like, girl, you know, I love talking to you. The, the bears, when I go and try to talk to the bears, the bears don't understand me like you, Eve. Like, Eve, I'm telling you, like, we have the best conversations. The serpent act like he was interested in Eve, but he was only interested in Eve's power. Ooh, that's so good. I should preach that at a women's conference. Somebody should write that down. I should preach that at a women's conference. The serpent act like he was in, interested in Eve, but he was really showing up for her power. Eve, girl, you know what? I'm telling you, like, I love talking to you. Like, girl, your hair, everything. Like, I hate talking to the squirrels. Like, they, they never talking about nothing. But Eve, we have the best. No one gets me like you. And Eve's like, really? Oh, wow. I, I just had a great conversation with the squirrel. Nah, Eve, you're, the be- you're my best. You're my best friend. And then in other news, don't you want to be like God? Like, like Eve, like, think about it. Like, think about it, girl. You know, think about it. Like, if you knew as much as he knew. Like, do you even know anything? Eve's like, you know what, I probably, you know, I don't know enough. Right? Agreement. Boom. The moment agreement is had, power is lost. Fear shows up looking for agreement. But James 4 and 7, it says, resist the devil and he will flee. Resistance is the opposite of agreement. You have to resist the devil, not just get out of here, devil, in the name of Jesus. I'll push back the darkness right now in the name of you will not abide. No, resist it in your mind, in your thoughts. The moment unhealthy, ungodly thoughts come, you need to resist it there. Push back on darkness there. Put on the helmet of salvation there so that agreement isn't had and power isn't lost. Darkness inhabits our space only through agreement because fear is a portal. Fear is a portal that that takes us places we never 
intend to go. Whenever darkness is present, look for the root of agreement in your life. If you're dealing with some dark stuff, find out what you have agreed with and break off agreement with the enemy. Break off the agreement with the kingdom of darkness because it has no place in your heart, in your mind, and in your, ho- in your house. John 10 and 10, it says, the devil comes only to kill, steal, destroy, but I come to have that you may have life and have life more abundantly. What does the devil come to only kill, steal, and, and destroy? Your power. He wants to leave you feeling powerless like he is. Do you realize the enemy can't create anything? He can only pervert things that you create because you are the light, because you are the salt. So he only comes to manipulate things that you are able to produce. So you have to be careful to not agree with him in your mind. So the solution is either I am in in the spirit of fear or I am in the spirit of worship with the father. Realize that I said I am in the spirit. I cannot be in both spirits at the same time. I cannot be in the spirit of fear and in in the spirit of worship. I'm either in fear or I'm I'm in worship. Because fear is a classic demonic war tactic. And worship of the Father is warfare. Worship is warfare. If you ever feel like the enemy is clouding in your mind, begin to worship. Like Pastor John, when he was fighting against that diagnosis, yeah, you're in rejection, dude. Yeah, you may not, you not, may not live through this. I know you waited on a heart. You done got a heart. I know you was really hoping things would work out. But yeah, it looks like, the, it looks like it's turn, taking a turn for the worse. Worship warfare because I'm either going to be in the spirit of fear or I'm going to be in worship God is seeking out those of us that will extinguish the kingdom of darkness in our assigned places through worship second Corinthians 4 3 through 6 it says but even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing that's who the gospel is is veiled to which means it's, it's invisible they can't see it they can't understand it they can't comprehend it It's only to those who are perishing, whose minds the gods of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservant for Jesus' sake. And for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in, our, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 3, it talks about everything that's going to happen in the last days. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to happen. Like, I don't care how hard we pray. I don't care how wonderful our songs sound. If Second Timothy chapter 3 says in the last days these things will happen, these things will happen. That people will fall away from the truth. That people won't endure sound doctrine. That they will be lovers of themselves. But in the meantime, God's like, if I can get some seasoned Christians to be the salt of the earth, to preserve it, the darkness, the towns will not invade places where lights should be taking up authority. Remaining in our Father's presence keeps the darkness from intimidating us. I don't know, but it seems like the it seems like demonic uh, oppression, de- um, all this stuff is ramping up like never before. 
I have never seen so much demonic oppression happening in the church. And one of the reasons why is because us as Christians feels like we can't be affected by that. We have Jesus. But what are you entertaining in your mind? What portal have you allowed yourself to go through through agreement? And that changes everything. Just like my daughter, it didn't matter what time it was at night. The moment she called out on her dad, he came and he invaded that space. The situation was the, cha- the same. The darkness was the same. But how she felt in that place changed. Which means if the people of God would call on the Lord just a little bit more, fear won't have its way in your mind. Fear won't intimidate you and push you around. Oh, now I'm depressed. I'm just depressed. I'm just oppressed. I'm just broken. I say to you today, don't stop crying out for the Father in worship. Don't stop the agreement that you have with the Lord in worship. Why? Because worship is warship. It's warfare. Fear abandons you in worship. Anxiety is chased away in worship. Torment has to release you in worship. Isaiah 60, 1 through 2, it says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. What are you doing when the darkness seems like it's caving in? Be the switch. A jeweler, when he examines the the excellence of a diamond, he doesn't push it, put it next to another diamond. No, he puts it on the back, the darkest backdrop that he can find to see the light shine out of that diamond like never before. And God's saying, I don't care how dark it gets according to 2 Timothy and 3. I don't care if your children are unloving. I don't care if they are dishonorable. I don't care if people are backstabbing. I don't care if people are liars and lovers of themselves. I will put you on the darkest backdrop of this light, of this life, of this world, and I will see your light shine like never before. And I'll say to my people look at my people being salty and being the light of the world it doesn't matter how dark it gets it just matters how you light up dark conditions of this world become the backdrop for us to have our greatest work through jesus christ it doesn't matter what your school, if your school is terrible, it doesn't matter if you're, you're, you, you work with a bunch of devil, demon worshipers at your job, it doesn't matter. Good Lord, make the backdrop as dark as you can possibly get it so that my light can light this place up and invade it. And when my light so shine before men that they're my good works will glorify my Father in heaven, God will say, well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. I took you in the darkest of situations, and yet you still shined for me. Why do we always feel like we need a crowd to be excellent for God? Well, I'll sing if somebody sing with me. As I close... Don't be surprised when God places you into some really dark situations to demonstrate the glory that he wants to have rest on you in this earth. Our resolve 
should be, Lord, build your church. Lord, build your church. Before I ask the Lord to build this church outwardly, I'm asking God to build his church inwardly in me. It doesn't matter if all of y'all will turn away. Guess where I will be? I will be right here calling upon the name of the Lord because in 2 Timothy 3, it says that many will fall away and many will not endure sound doctrine. But because I've taken the time to be salty and preserve the light that's in me, I know I'm going to stand flat-footed and I will not bend. So, God, our resolve is, God, I don't care how dark it is, allow me to be the light. I don't care how much turmoil I'm going through. God, use me as the light. Use me as the light on my workplace. Use me as the light in my school. Use me in the light of my family. I don't know if y'all got crazy cousins like me, crazy cousins, aunties, uncles. Lord, light it up. Let your glory be seen so they will see my good works and will glorify my You are the light of the world. You are a city set upon a hill that cannot be hidden. So come out of the closet. Do we take a lamp and place it under a basket? No. We put it on a lampstand so that everyone in the room will be able to benefit from the light. Let your light so shine before men that he will, they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that is my challenge to you today. Stand to your feet because we're going to agree on that. That if there's anything that we can say over ourselves, I am the salt of the earth. I refuse to lose my flavor. I am the light of the world. I refuse to be hidden because of shame or because of the cares of what I have about other men thinking about me. I will not bend. The Bible talks about that in the last days, yeah, many will turn away, but the Bible also says that there will be a remnant. Do you know what a remnant is? It's a fragmented piece of something that was once whole. Which means if I take this shirt and I just cut off a piece and the shirt is thrown away, but I hold on to this little bit of piece, that's a remnant. And so in the last days, we're going to be holding this remnant. And maybe we'll daydream about the days of old when the church was still full and the church was still established and people were still believing and pressing forward and pressing toward the word of God. Or maybe we'll just be believing that the Lord's going to do a mighty work through the remnant against the backdrop of the most ungodliest of situations. But do not give up your power. I started to put this in my notes, and I don't know where it is. But do you guys remember the man with the son They came up to Jesus? This is really heavy on my spirit. The man that came up to Jesus, whose son was possessed And the Bible talks about the the, the dad explained that sometimes the spirit will throw my son into a fire or to try to drown him in water. And so the son says to Jesus, can you help him? And Jesus says to the father, this is super important, you guys. Jesus said to the father, I can if you believe. 
And do you know what's so interesting? The father's response was, I believe, but can you help my unbelief? What's interesting about that scripture is that the dad had this situation with his son, but it became a situation about the dad. Like the dad was forced to make it about him because it was the son that needed help. But then all of a sudden he stepped in and was like, but really it's, it's really me. I'm struggling with unbelief. And so I don't know if my son is struggling with this because maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I'm not good. Maybe I'm not qualified. Maybe I'm not a good parent. Maybe I made a mistake and God says, I can, I can do it if you believe. Well, help my unbelief because I'm struggling right now. And God is saying, I, I feel like there's some parents that know that their children are in need of some help. But they made the struggle about them. That maybe it's me. Maybe this, this is going on with my kids because of me. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I would have loved it if the Lord was like, when did we start talking about you? Like, I thought your son needed help. But isn't that just like us? That we will literally envelope everything that's happening in our children and make it about us. Do you know that our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God? Through the pulling down of strongholds, of imaginations that tries to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. Do you know that our weapons are weapons that are to pull down the things that come to battle and invade and contend with our belief and our faith? I wonder how soon the son could have been healed if the father wouldn't have made it about him and his, his wrestling of himself. The Bible talks about how the son had been like that since a child. Can you imagine how many years that he's looking at this little boy's cousins or brothers or schoolmates and he's looking at them and he's looking at his son and he's like, did I do something? Lord, I believe, but... Help my unbelief, because I really believe it's a me problem. Which is why we have to allow God to build his church in us. So we don't make our children's problems about our problems. I need to put on the helmet of salvation so that my mind and my thoughts line up according to the word of God. I need to put on the belt of truth because I need to be held together with the truth so that the lie doesn't come and shake me around. I need to shod my feet with the gospel so that everywhere I walk, I walk on the truth and the precepts upon precepts upon precepts of God's word. I don't want to get off path of following and doing what God does me to do because if I do, I'll make everything that's going on with my kids, my children, my children's children about me because I've failed to let the light invade the darkness in me. Get your power back. You are not a powerless people. You are not a town. You are not a homeless encampment. You are not filthy. You are not dirty. You are clean. You have been brought. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are kept. You are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your If there's anybody here today that says, you know what? This is for me. And I want my power back. 
No longer do I want the darkness to intimidate me. Tell me to run when I should be standing firm. Tell me to sit when I should be standing. Tell me to be silent when I should be speaking and proclaiming. If this is for you today, I want you to come and I want you to meet the intercessors up front. As the intercessors come, we're going to pray. We're going to believe with you. We're going to agree and be- agree in the word of God with you. That no longer will the enemy be able to have an encampment in your mind. That you are a new creation. Behold, all things are new. That we don't have to entertain the ghost of our last and our past struggles. Oh no, all things have become new. Because we've been bought and purchased with the price of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you want to receive the Lord in your heart, we want you to invite, we want to invite you to come up front. We want to pray with you. We want to agree with you. Or maybe you feel like, you know what? I haven't been checking my fire. I haven't been stoking the fire. I haven't checked the sacrifice. You know what? I don't know the last time I prayed. I don't know the last time I opened my Bible. You know what? I don't even know what a devotion is. You know what? I believe I once had the light. I once had a fire, but I believe that fire has grown cold. If that's you today, we want to come. We want you to come up. We want to invite you. We want to worship with you today. We want to pray with you today. We want to agree today that that log, a new fresh log, will be placed in the fire and that your fire and your light will be made afresh and anew. But whatever it is, we want God to build this church. Because I don't know if you lose your seasoning or if you use your flavor, what that means for your family, what that means for your grandchildren, what that means for whatever it is, what mission, what vision, what call God has had for you. I don't know what that means. But let's stir up the gift today. But the rest of us, we're going to worship. We're going to worship. Because we can't be in the spirit of fear if we're worshiping. Because we can't be full of anxiety when we're worshiping. Because we can't be in turmoil when we're worshiping the heavens, the the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. So we want to invite you to worship with us today. Because why? Because this is worship. This is how we war. This is how we fight our battles. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. But the pulling down of strongholds as we worship. So let's worship the Lord today.